For seemingly the 100th time in his career, John Collins back on the trade block for the Atlanta Hawks. Brad Ron from Locked On Hawks will join us to talk about that. Plus, six-game winning streak for the Sacramento Kings. What's going on in Sacramento? And, of course, Shea Gilgis Alexander. In the MVP hunt, we'll talk with Ryland Stiles from Locked On Thunder and Matt George of Locked On Kings about the latest from around the league on today's Locked On NBA. Let's go. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Monday and welcome into another edition of the Locked On NBA podcast where we bring you the latest and greatest news from around the association, including the biggest stories from our local experts here at the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Tony East, the host of Locked On Pacers, filling in for Jackson Gatlin, the host of Locked On Rockets. And today, jam-packed show, the first rumblings of the NBA trade season are here. The Atlanta Hawks reportedly in chatter to trade John Collins again for roughly the 100th time in their NBA life cycle. Uh, Brad Rowland from Lockdown Hawks will join us to talk why the Hawks might do that and what is next for that Atlanta team. Let's bring in Brad Rowland from Lockdown Hawks. Now joined by Brad Rowland from Lockdown Hawks to talk about the big news in the transaction world in the NBA. John Collins on the trade block again. Uh, I don't know what the perfect word is forever. Perennially, there is a word to describe this. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but Shams Charania and the Athletic Reports talks are back on for John Collins' preliminary, air quotes, trade discussions have opened up for the Hawks forward again. He was in trade rumors all offseason. Brad, from your end to start, why is this resurfacing now? Is we're only a month into this NBA season, really. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. You talked about it a little bit there, but I'm not sure he ever stopped being in trade rumors, it was that's that's one of those things where when it's this, this early in the season and the Hawks are winning, there's not like a huge change that's happened. Like his usage rates down. We talk about that if you want to, and his role is in sort of in flux. But I think that it really comes down to the fact that he was never not on the on the market. I think the Hawks like him to a point, and for whatever reason, he has been available for the better part of three years now. Um, and but at the same time, he is available, but they have not had his, had his asking price met just yet so like they've, they've drawn this hard line in the sand and it continues to be like this and part of the problem is as we can get into as well like the hawks want to win now and trading him away makes you worse and that is why they are still doing this carousel once again yeah it can be tricky with players like collins and i'm going to pretend to relate to you even though i don't cover the hawks but covering miles <laughs> turner who you know they, they always feel like they can do more in a bigger role but the team situation doesn't always allow for it where yeah like it makes sense for them to stay on the team they're on because they're talented and good. But at the same time, there's players involved, there's human lives involved. And the way the NBA transaction world is, guys would like to be optimized. And this happens. The cycle continues forever. I'm sure Miles Turner will be in the second batch of these inside pop passes Shams Charania drops every year. But yeah, this one's fascinating too. There's an inclusion of the Hawks' interest in Jay Crowder. We'll get to that in a moment. But you're looking from the Hawks' end, you know, I, I know that this year specifically his usage is way down, but why, why would they want to trade John Collins? Because he is a talented player who they gave $125 million to. Yeah, it's kind of the perpetual question because, you know, he does a lot of things well. I think he's this is he's actually having his best defensive season. He's become a legitimately good defensive player, which if you asked me that question five years ago, I would have laughed in your face. He used to be pretty <laughs> bad defensively as a prospect and all that stuff. He's gotten to be pretty darn good defensively, but – the big thing is his offensive role has continued to, to sort of decline with this Hawks roster and not really because of anything that Collins has done wrong. First, they brought in a non-shooting center 
in Clint Capella, who's been great for them, but he's pretty limited offensively. And now this year was the next step in that evolution, bringing in DeJounte Murray to have another high-usage guy. So the Hawks are basically playing a lineup now that has uh, two very ball-dominant guards and a non-shooting center on the floor at all times. And that leaves Collins, who is capable of being a floor spacer, but he's not. His best role is as a pick and roll guy, and you can't really run pick and roll a ton when you're not the center on the court. So it's a little bit of everything. I think that they have been spoiled, and that he has been good enough and been versatile enough to do other things. But ideally, this is not his best role in offense. I think he knows that. They know that. But because he's been able to do it good enough, they've been able to kind of get by with it. But now he's not making his three pointers, and it's become a little bit more of a focus because he's not shooting the ball well, and that kind of puts his spotlight on the whole thing. Yeah, it's interesting looking at his stats without watching every Hawks game, just seeing that this guy who makes upwards of 60% of his twos every season takes less than seven of them a game despite being mega-talented, super-athletic, can move around the floor very well, and can space it at times. The fact that they're not able to, and to no fault of the team, they have other talented players who need the ball to get him the right number of shots. It does make sense why that marriage maybe isn't heading the perfect way. And would you say that from Collins' side, his level of level of involvement is kind of what's igniting him to maybe want to trade? Yeah, it's interesting. It's like there was a reference in what Mark Stein wrote about this whole thing as well. It's like how all sides being interested in this. I have not heard anything about Collins like actively wanting out. I think he's open to it at this point from what I understand. Just because, look, if you were in a room or put yourself in his position, if you're on the market for three years in a row, you probably don't feel super wanted by your current employer. And I think that's pretty understandable on a human level. But like – I don't know. I think part of it is the team not giving him as many touches, not running stuff for him. Nate McMillan, not the most uh, innovative coach in the world as someone who used to cover, I know, around the uh, Indiana Pacers. Um, But, you know, part of that's Collins, too. Like, he's not the most, like, easy-to-scale guy. He's not someone who's going to grab the ball in the perimeter and go one-on-one against the guy necessarily. So it's a little bit of all sides. And I think that for his own personal, you know, growth, however you want to say that, like for his numbers in particular, he'd be better off somewhere else at the same time. I think he's likes it in Atlanta. He's popular here for the most part, not, not universally. So I think some people like anytime you're a guy who got paid a lot of money, that there's that big target on their back. But if you go through the nuance of it all, like he's not making that much money with, with where the cap's going. It's not, it's not a crazy contract, but I think that if you're his agent right now in particular, why kind of, why wouldn't you want him to go somewhere else where he's gonna get more touches and more numbers? It's interesting, too, reading through these details because the Hawks are included in this beyond just the John Collins side of things, but because Jay Crowder is also out on the market for the Suns, hasn't played this season, doesn't like that he'll be coming off the bench, even though the guy that replaced him isn't playing. But that's not for me to talk about here. What (laughs) is the point is the Hawks do apparently have interest in Crowder, but I I believe this is the case. It'd be ridiculous to trade John Collins for Jay Crowder. Do you feel like those are separate things as Atlanta pushes forward? Kind of, you know, they were tied to Jay Crowder over the summer, and I was like, "Look, guys, they they cannot afford to trade John Collins for Jay Crowder." Um, and maybe you bring Crowder in. He's actually from around the area, went to high school not 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 far from Atlanta. Maybe he becomes your third four. But if you're Jay Crowder, like, didn't isn't the whole reason you're leaving Phoenix? At least that you want to leave Phoenix because you want you wanted to start, and now you're not starting. Like, so there's a little bit of give and take there. I think now it wouldn't stun me if they were to do a swap of those two guys, but. It has to be said, that makes the Hawks worse. Now, Jay Crowder is a good player, but John Collins is better than Jay Crowder. And I think it would have to be some sort of other additional, you know, throw in kind of first round pick or something like that to make the deal kind of sweet enough for the Hawks to do that swap. And again, that does make them worse in the short term. Even if you are a huge Crowder believer, 
Collins is a better player and he's younger and under control longer, all those things. So I think it wouldn't like blow me away now if they were to do a swap race race around those guys, but it has to be more coming from Phoenix. They wouldn't, I think the Hawks would be crazy to go one for one on those things. And uh, especially with Crowder hitting free agency at the end of the season, like the Hawks have some tax concerns, which is definitely kind of push a lot of this stuff to the the forefront. The Kevin Herter trade happened because of money, et cetera. But I think that Crowder, you know, would help the Hawks in some ways, but not necessarily in place of John Collins. What would the Hawks want in return for John Collins? And you mentioned Crowder being a third forward. I cover the Pacers. I know that Justin Holiday is talented, but doesn't necessarily fill all the holes a contending team would like on the wing. For example, among many things, uh, AJ Griffin playing wing minutes for the Hawks. He's a rookie. Is is that kind of what you feel like a push for them would be? Would be to get more forward depth to get some strength at that position. Yeah, it's really tricky because of where they are. They're trying to win now. They went and got DeJounte Murray, and ownership is definitely pushing them to win. So I think any trade that involves John Collins kind of has to have a starting caliber power forward option coming back, and that makes it difficult. I mean, that's one of the reasons why he's still on this team now is because the Hawks have been asking for a starting caliber forward back. And that's not usually how these trades work. It's usually for like one team trading a player and getting something from some, somewhere else or maybe a future-facing asset, whereas the Hawks are kind of like, all right, we want, a, we want a four and something else maybe for John Collins. And you mentioned Justin Holiday. He's fine, but he's he's a fourth, fifth wing. That's what he is. He's a he's a, he's a quality veteran, but not going to not going to change your life. Griffin's definitely a good player so far as a rookie, but Jalen Johnson's their backup power forward. He's not proven to be a quality starting option at the NBA level. So the Hawks are in this weird spot again, and that's why he's still here. That they're going to be asking for a very particular package, and everyone always asks me what, what it's going to be. My answer is kind of a shrug because it has to involve, at least from what I understand, like it will surprise me a lot if they trade Collins and do not get a starting caliber forward back because they want to win now. And that complicates everything. Ironically, looking through in this Shams piece with the inside pass, a lot of the Suns targets would be guys that I think make sense to what yeah. you're describing. Your Harrison Barnes, Kyle Kuzma, even KJ Martin, uh, Martin, excuse me, mentioned from Houston, although he's not quite at that level. Beyond those guys, does, it, does any team, does any player stand out to you as anyone that makes sense to make this all marry up? Yeah, those guys you just mentioned make a lot of sense in some ways. Again, I think Collins is better than all of those guys, but Agreed. that's at least part of the structure. And actually, Mark Stein wrote on Sunday in his uh, in his uh, Substack that there was a deal that got close between the Hawks and the Kings over the summer, and there were no, there were no details on that, but I would not be surprised if that involved Harrison Barnes in some sort of Harrison Barnes, John Collins structure that just never ended up happening. So, yeah, there's not a perfect target, I think. I've thought about guys like Kuzma and guys like Harrison Barnes. And, you know, maybe there's Utah has been mentioned now. I think Laurie Markkinen's in a weird place now where he's kind of having this breakout where I can't imagine Utah is going to be eager to trade Laurie Markkinen in the middle of this. You know, six months ago or even six weeks ago, I would have said, you know, John Collins is a lot better than Laurie Markkinen. But now I don't know. I don't know if that's the case anymore. So that, that's a weird spot. Danny Ainge is always interested until he's not interested. So I don't know. There's not a perfect name for me. If you find one, Tony, I'd love to hear it. But I don't, I don't have one yet for that. <laughs> yeah. Of that, well, when I was thinking about this for, before the segment, PJ Washington was kind of interesting to me, but he's not he's not as good as Collins. You know, that's sort of a dice roll situation. And why would the Hornets do that? They would like to be bad this season. So it's hard to find the perfect fit for a lot of reasons, because teams that have good power forwards are typically good teams that don't necessarily want to give up that guy. Yeah, and, and Washington in particular is like he's kind of like Collins, but a little bit worse. You know what I mean? Like they're very right. similar players. So like I'm not sure if the Hawks, if you're going to do this Collins trade, don't you want something sort of a different archetype? I think you probably want more of a maybe more of a floor spacer, more of a low usage guy. Like Washington's kind of like Collins, just like 10 percent worse. And that's not. I mean, he he is he's a good player, but like, what's the point of that deal? Would be my question. I guess maybe other, other than maybe save some money, but that'd be kind of it for me. 
Yeah, it's tricky to find the right fit, and that's, I think, part of why he didn't ultimately get dealt this summer. But you can speak to that more at the Locked On Hawks podcast. Go check it out, Brad, hosting that show five days a week, wherever you get podcasts and YouTube. Brad, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Don't you sometimes wish life came with a user manual, something you could read to give you the best advice you need or to tell you the next best thing to do? Unfortunately, life does not come with a user manual. So when it's not working for you, it's normal to feel stuck. Navigating any of life's challenges can make you feel unsure, whether it's a career change, a new relationship, or becoming a parent. Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy the closest thing to a guided tour of the complex engine called you. BetterHelp has connected over 3 million people with licensed therapists. It's convenient and accessible anywhere, 100% online. Therapy can help you with coping skills, self-empowerment, dealing with trauma. It's something for everyone. And as the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and you'll match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com dot com slash locked on mba that's better help dot com slash locked on mba welcome back into locked on mba thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day for your second listen check out locked on sports today from the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only locked on can provide locked on sports today available on this app youtube and wherever you get podcasts. Speaking of biggest stories in sports, how about the Sacramento Kings on their longest winning streak in a decade and a half, the second longest winning streak in the NBA? The Sacramento Kings are rolling and look dangerous. Do not look now. Matt George from Lockdown Kings is going to join us to break down what's going on in Sacktown. They're lighting a beam every time they win. Let's bring in Matt George from Lockdown Kings. We are now joined by Matt George, host of Lockdown Kings, to discuss the surging Sacramento Kings. You might see the Celtics at the top of the league for the last 10 games. We're right behind them. The Sacramento Kings, who have won five games in a row and eight of their last 10, and have beaten some very good teams in that span. The Cleveland Cavaliers, last year's champion Golden State Warriors, hanging 150 on the Brooklyn Nets the other night. The Kings look very good. Matt, what has incited this incredible run from the Sacramento basketball team? Well, Tony, first off, uh, offensively, Sacramento is at the top of the league now, which we knew that this team had offensive firepower, and that was one of the major disappointments of, of Sacramento last year. Is they were supposed to be this tremendously good offensive team that struggled on the defensive end of the floor. Last year, they sucked defensively, and for some reason, the offense sucked too. This year, the defense slowly getting better. Still need a lot of work on that area of the ball. Uh, but offensively, Sacramento right now just... I mean, they're clicking on all cylinders. Everybody, they're getting major contributions from the bench. I think over this stretch, they're averaging over 50 bench points per game. They had over 80 bench points in the 153-point win um, over the the Brooklyn Nets. And in that game, De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis only combined for 31 points. Terrence Davis was the only player on the Kings to score more than 20. So you think about that. The the Kings score 153 points with only one player scoring more than 20 points. That just goes to uh, show how well the Kings are are moving the ball. They lead the league in passes. Uh, Like the ball is moving around, and they have guys that are just shooting out of their mind. Kevin Herter is shooting over 50%. 
from three-point range. Uh, some nights, Terrence Davis will go off off the bench. Some nights, Malik Monk will go off off the bench. De'Aaron Fox has not had to put his team on his back as much as he's had to in the past, but even so, when it comes to winning time, he's the guy scoring and, and, and leading the Kings, and then everything runs through DeMontis Sabonis, who really is the spine, the backbone, the, the foundation of this Kings offense. So, I mean, offensively, Sacramento is playing so well that even with their defensive pitfalls and their defensive struggles, it really hasn't become a factor, which is something that we haven't been able to say in Sacramento for, God, since I was a child. It's funny you say that about De'Aaron Fox because you look at his stats and he's taking less shots per game than either of the last two seasons and yet efficient from absolutely everywhere. His career high in both three and two point percentage right now. So his stats still look fantastic. What's ignited his play? Because he's in the all-star conversation right now. Well, honestly, he's playing better because there's less on his shoulders. Like the, he's playing in bursts in like six to seven minute stretches to where he'll start a game and, and the Kings could use some big performances from him. In fact, the Kings are coming off of uh, a win the other night where it, it wasn't the, the cleanest win for the Sacramento Kings over the San Antonio Spurs. But Mike Brown challenged De'Aaron Fox in that game to have a big game coming off of the Brooklyn game where he only scored 14 points and the Kings only really needed him to score 14 points in that game. Mike Brown challenged him to have a big game, so he drops 28 points. Uh, I think it was 28 points. Also uh, dishes out like eight assists uh, and led the league in pl- or let, rather led the Kings in plus minus. He was like a plus 31 or plus 32 or something like that. Just something ridiculous. And he did it on like 15 shots. So he's shooting tremendously more efficiently. He's making his shots, especially his three-point shot is falling. His free throws have looked tremendously better. Like he's a career mid to low 70s shooting from the free throw line. He's in the mid to high 80s this season uh, and looks just extremely comfortable there. Uh, And ultimately, like the Kings aren't relying on him so heavily that the reason why he's doing so well closing games in the fourth quarter, the reason why he leads the league in clutch points is because Really, he has a lot of energy to give at the end of games because he's not being run as ragged and used as hard. Plus, he still is incredibly fast, one of the fastest players in the league, but he doesn't just have to solely rely on that anymore. De'Aaron Fox plays like he knows he can get anywhere he wants on the floor, whether it's his mid-range game, his three-point game, getting to the rim, and he doesn't have to just sprint to get there. He's crafty. He's quick. He gets other teammates involved. He's uh, he's a playmaker or in the sense that he draws so much attention with his offensive scoring ability that he can find open men and, and open up opportunities for his teammates, but he's not like a floor general point guard. Uh, those duties have been taken off of his shoulders by DeMontis Sabonis, and he's just absolutely thriving. Yeah, speaking of Sabonis, you know, that was a big move for the Kings last year, going all in on the two-time All-Star, all in on this core of the lefties, as I like to call them from not Sacramento, of Fox plus Sabonis together. And the first six games, Sabonis' stats weren't as impressive. But in the Kings' last eight, 21 points, 11 rebounds per game, shooting very well from the field. Has he been as advertised for the Kings? Has his all-star play translated? And how much has he been a factor for this team's success? You called him the backbone in their recent hot stretch. Well, the big difference with the start of the season, Sabonis' struggles and what he's doing now is he's able to stay on the floor. Sabonis dealt with a ton of foul trouble early on in the season. Now, the Kings also felt that he was not being officiated properly. And the Kings, if you look at, I mean, they've won eight of their last 10 games. 
The two games they lost were both by questionable offici- uh, officiating, which if you look at the last two-minute reports of both those games, the league admitted they got it wrong. They missed a Tyler Hero travel on a game-winning bucket, and Clay Thompson absolutely mugged Kevin Herter in, in Golden State uh, trying to tie the game with a three-point shot, and they they didn't call it. Should have been a foul. Again, there's no guarantee that the Kings would have won both those games, even if those calls ha- Kevin Herter still has to hit three free throws. Tyler Hero's shot doesn't count. Game goes to overtime on the road. Who knows? If, so Kings aren't uh, necessarily claiming that they should be 10-0 over this stretch. But going back to the DeMontis Sabonis question, he's staying on the floor, and that's allowing him to ultimately feel and get comfortable just playing basketball the way that he he knows how to play. And Tony, you know this very well, of, of course, with Locked On um, Pacers and, and how much you've watched him. Like he's so multi-skilled, so multi-talented, and he's so easy to play with. Like the shoot, Kevin Herter's shooting percentage when assisted by uh, DeMontis Sabonis is like astronomical. It's ridiculous. And it's because the two of them play so well off of each other. They've developed a really good pick and roll game. Of course, De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis. And if I could take this platform to uh, to, to talk some talk a little bit here, because I know, uh, Tony, you've seen a lot of this, but you've been on the right side of this. Tyrese Halliburton is an, an incredibly exciting player. I think the Indiana Pacers, who are thriving right now, too, should be absolutely thrilled with what they got in Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald, who I wasn't too fond of and didn't play very well over the last couple of years of his uh, career here in Sacramento. He's playing much better. Uh, so the Indiana Pacers should feel very good about that trade. But there have been so many false narratives that have trashed the Kings for that trade, saying how in the world could you give up a player with the upside of Tyrese Halliburton? It's because the Sacramento Kings got a two-time All-Star in DeMontis Sabonis, someone who fits next to De'Aaron Fox, someone who De'Aaron Fox hasn't played with at any point over the course of his career, who could take some of the load off Fox, and we're seeing the results of that. So we need to back it up or some apologies need to be issued towards the Kings organization by it's not just fans, it's not just uh, it's national media members who have chosen to only focus on what the Pacers and what Tyrese Halliburton is doing and not pay attention to what the Sacramento Kings, De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis are doing uh, because of that trade. It's possible for both teams to win a trade. Both teams are clearly doing better because of this move. And it's time for that to be recognized, not just one team over the other. I'm 100% with you on that, and I think what happens with Sabonis a lot is people laser in on what he does specifically as an individual with his stats, but we saw this with the Pacers, and you just mentioned it with Kevin Herter. Justin Holiday, Doug McDermott, those guys play much better with Sabonis because the way they are as movement shooters, they become better. So Kevin Herter, who has more skills than either of those two guys by a mile, but also is a fantastic shooter, not only is Sabonis doing what he does, but now Kevin Herter's also better, or whatever shooter or wing you want to you know, insert into that conversation. Sabonis does so much well. And yeah, it's been a win-win trade for both teams. But Matt, the Kings, now that the Mariners made the playoffs, have the drought. I hate to bring it up to you. But I use that segue to say 8-2 and two in their last 10 games in the playoff picture in the West. Is this sustainable? Is this the year it's going to happen in Sacramento? Well, that, that's a great question. I'll get to that in a second. I also want to mention, too, the Kings are trying to win their sixth straight tonight against the Detroit Pistons. Uh, the Kings have not won six straight since 2004-2005 wow. that season. So wow. that just goes to show how long it's been, right? You talk about that streak. But I love the, that you asked, is this sustainable? Because the answer is yes. Now, if, if the Kings were scoring 153 points every night <laughs> and getting 31 points out of Terrence Davis every night, then I'd say, okay, that's not sustainable. And there's elements of this that aren't sustainable, like Kevin Herter shooting over 50% from three-point range. At some point, that's going to come back down, right? But 
the way the Kings are winning, they're getting multiple contributions from multiple different players. Different guys are stepping up on any given night. De'Aaron Fox is playing extremely well, but not out of his mind. Like there were stretches in the past couple of seasons where Fox was winning Western Conference Player of the Week awards because he was scoring 40 to 50 points a game and literally dragging the Kings to a win. That's not sustainable. But the way the Kings are playing, running their offense through DeMontis Sabonis, defense being just good enough, coming back when they're in early holes, finding ways to secure wins at home. I still think one of the big uh, humps that this team is going to have to learn and to get over, and they're going to really be tested with this upcoming road trip against Memphis, Atlanta, and Boston, is how do you close winnable games against good playoff teams on the road? That's a lesson I think they still need to learn. But the way the Kings are playing basketball right now, it's it's not easy, but it's po- possible to imagine them carrying that out or even growing upon it at times. Now, they're also going to take steps back. Head coach Mike Brown has been very open about that. There's no way the Kings, as much as we would love the winning streak to go through all the way to game 82, uh, (laughs) it's probably not going to happen. Kings are going to take steps back. There's going to be bumps in the road. Also, Sacramento has been very fortunate with their injury bug so far this season. So there's certain elements that could fluctuate a little bit that could affect things, but The Kings are playing great basketball right now, and it's not their peak. I think that's the best way to answer the question. They can get better, and they can continue to play like this for not a whole season, but most likely a majority of the season, and that should be good enough for them to be in the playoff conversation in the Western Conference. Certainly not at the top of the conference, but in the conversation. Kings half game out of the fourth spot in the Western Conference. Matt George will have more for that over at Locked on Kings. Matt, thank you for the time. Tony, it's a pleasure. Look forward to seeing you out here in Sacramento when Halliburton returns. It'll be a triumphant return for him. And everybody, pay attention to Kings basketball a little bit. It's entertaining. It's fun. They're playing well right now. Don't just disregard them because of the name on the front of the jersey. This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks tonight in the NBA. Do you think Luka Doncic is going to score more or less than 26.5 points? Do you think LeBron's going to be a passing machine? Kevin Durant's going to be a rebounding guy? All that is what you can do on prize picks every single day. You pick two to six players, and if they will score more or less than their prize picks projections, and you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. That's what I love about prize picks. You can't get beat by somebody with more time than you. It's just you versus their numbers. They offer projections in any sport you want to watch, NBA, NFL, MLB, tons of other sports, college level. They've got it all, and you can make your picks in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. It's safe. It's fast withdrawals, and it's operational over 30 states as well as Canada. Download the Price Picks app or go to PricePicks.com. Sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. You deposit $100, Price Picks will give you $100. You deposit $50, they'll give you $50. You get the idea. Don't forget though, you got to use the promo code Locked On to sign up for the instant deposit match up to $100. Price Picks daily fantasy made easy. Welcome back into Locked On NBA. Thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, why not check out your favorite local teams, Locked On Podcast, every single major sports league and many college teams here on the Locked On Podcast Network. And if your favorite team is the Oklahoma City Thunder, great news for you. Rylan Stiles from Locked On Thunder is about to join us to talk about Shea Gilgis Alexander and his awesome start to this campaign in the MVP conversation, hitting more two-point shots than any player in the NBA this year. Let's bring in Ryland to talk about the surging thunder 
and Shay Gilgers Alexander. We are now joined by Ryland Styles from the Locked On Thunder podcast, the spunky and fun and kind of good Oklahoma City Thunder of the same record at seven and nine as last year's NBA champs, the Golden State Warriors. Great start for the Thunder, and of course, the big thing to headline that is they might have the MVP on their team. Shea Gilgis Alexander has been unbelievable to start this season for the Thunder. Uh, the top four players in made two point shots this season in the NBA are uh, front court player Anthony Davis, front court player Giannis Antetokounmpo, front court player Joel Embiid, who are all hovering between nine and a half and ten. And at ten point two, first in the league is Mister Shea Gilgis Alexander Ryland. What has gotten into Shea? What's made him so good this year? How has he elevated his game again, as he seemingly does every year? He's just continuing to improve. I mean, he has not even hit his peak yet, and and this might be his peak. He's not in his prime years yet. It's just he was leading the league in drives last year as well, and, and he's leading the league in drives again this year. The way that he finishes at the rim is impressive and it's almost unheard of. I mean, a guard's not supposed to be able to finish this way at the rim. And when he can put that much pressure on the rim, what's helped him out a lot is he has a mid-range jump shot that's really good as well. So he's so you know he's got the defenders on their heels because he's attacking the rim so hard and going downhill. And then whoop, he can just you know Joe pull up in, in the mid-range at the elbow, uh, baseline jumpers, and you, you just really can't attack him. Like there's there's no way to defend him. And now that three ball starting to fall more in these last couple of games, uh, which has helped him a lot. But he really doesn't even utilize that three a whole lot. It's really just mid-range and at the rim, and, and it's getting him to 30 points a night, and he's just fantastic. But I think that the big thing is the way that he can finish with both hands and use his body and length to get to the rim and finish there because he, he's just phenomenal as, as an inside scorer. And you mentioned it there. I mean, He's scoring at a front court level. He was a guard. It's unbelievable to go through the stats. The only guys ahead of him in scoring have gotten way more publicity than him to me. And for obvious reasons, for some of them, it's Luka and Bede, Curry and Donovan Mitchell. But 31.1 points per game is crazy. It's even funnier when you look through the Thunder roster. First of all, Thunder, totally capable offense this year, 17th in offensive rating right now, with four double-digit scores. Like Shea just is really carrying this team with his ability to go crazy. He had that game winner against the Wizards last season. And, and the big thing, you mentioned a few of them just now, is that he's gotten better. But specifically, where have you seen him kind of evolve and take a step forward as he enters his age 24 season? I think that it's been... You know, of course, the mid-range jump shots come around, but I think that what's been most impressive is his defense. Like the the defense has been the biggest improvement. He's been locked in on the end of the floor. He's at, he's he getting three steals a night, a couple blocks a night. He gives so much effort on that end that it does lead to easier baskets on the other end because it starts transition, obviously, with those steals, with those blocks. But he, he's had moments where he's locked down Franz Wagner on defense, which is obviously a tough task for a guard and. The way that he plays on that end really inspires the rest of the team because this is your franchise guy. This is your number one guy. And so if he's going to give you that effort defensively, the rest of the team better do it as well. And offensively, on top of the scoring, he's he's been really good as a decision maker. Uh, he's trusted these teammates uh, of his who are young, who are unproven, who are inconsistent because they're, they're so young. And he still makes the right play, even though he has the right, so to say, to be selfish and to take over games late and to not pass. And if he were to do that, no one would call him a ball hog. No one would be mad at him for doing that, but he doesn't. He still makes the right decision. He still goes to the open man. Even if it's Pokashevsky in the corner, he's going to kick it to him. And Pokashevsky's rewarded him in that corner, shooting over 40%. So like that that trust from the coaching staff and from Shea, I think has helped these young players uh, play better and, and kind of r- raise their level of play whenever you have that commitment from everyone involved. 
Do you think he can maintain this for the whole season? You know, how long do you think we'll be talking about SGA and the MVP conversation? First of all, that's going to be fun to say uh, just because of the three-letter acronyms. But he, he's firmly in the mix now. The NBA MVP letter has him, I think, sixth as of us talking right now. It's Sunday, so it could be updated by tomorrow. But you know, how long do you think he can he can stay in this form if he even will dip off to you? Yeah, I, I think that everything he's doing is very repeatable. So I, I, I think that he can. I think that he can keep this level up. I'm interested to see how the league reacts to him now that he's getting this national exposure. He's on every national podcast. He's on every article. Of course, he's in the scouting reports. And um, the Memphis Grizzlies did a good job of defending him on Friday. However, you know that is the end of a road trip where the, you, you've played Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I mean, that that was a tough game in, in general, and he obviously looked gassed in that game as someone who has such a high usage rate. Uh, but two days off now, coming back at home on Monday against the Knicks, I want to see how he looks there. But I, I think that this is very sustainable because there's nothing that he's doing that's out of the ordinary. This is who he is. He led the league in, in drives the last couple of years. He's doing it again this year. He's always been a really good rim finisher. He's just taken a step forward in that area as he's gotten older now uh, in, in this season. And everything he's doing is just, it's not like he's all of a sudden hitting five threes a game, which he's never done before. He's doing the same thing he's always done. It just looks better because he's better, because he's older, because he's more mature in the league. So I think he can, I think he can sustain this a lot. I really do. Yeah, nothing stands out to me as well looking at his stats and I'm like, oh, that number's going to come down or you know, perhaps defensive adjustments will come. But you know, he's a good enough passer, I think, around six assists right now that other Thunder players have stepped up. And speaking of other Thunder players, the Thunder currently zero games back of the play-in right now tied with a bunch of teams for that last spot. We'll see how the West shakes out because the Western Conference standings are Insane, for lack of a better term, at the current moment. A bunch of teams with somewhere between seven and nine losses as we speak. With the Thunder, they've beaten the Clippers. They've beaten the Mavs. They beat the Raptors. They almost beat the Celtics. They just beat the Wizards. All these teams that look very good to start the season. Mark Dagnalt, Scott, the Thunder looking much more capable this year than in past seasons to you, beyond Shea being one of the best ten players in the league so far. What kind of guys or, or strategies have really helped that team elevate from their level from last season? Honestly, it's been Mark. It's been the fact that the Thunder don't have a rotation. They don't have a starting lineup. They, they, they've already ran through nine, ten starting lineups already this season, and we're only a month into the year. And he'll bench anybody. He'll bench Josh Giddy. He'll bench. He'll bench Poku. He'll bench whoever it needs to be. And 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 I call it a Rubik's cube. You know, every game he's just twisting that Rubik's cube, trying to find the right combination to, to <laughs> like get that. to get the right uh, uh, guys out there. Because some nights it's Isaiah Joe going off, you know, in Dallas, and some nights it's Pokashevsky, and some nights it's Baisley, and some nights it's it's the rookie Jalen Williams. Either one of them, right? So, like, I think that the Thunder being committed to not sitting on their hands and not just saying, "Well, these are our young guys; we gotta let them play through it," and trying to to try out, you know. You know, at times 13 different guys in one half. Like he's done that before, played 13 guys in one half of basketball. Like trying out all these different combinations has been leading to success because in years past, though, the Thunder were not deep enough to do that. Like in years past, your option was no longer there to, to rotate guys, right? So if you if you look at it last year, yeah, sure, there might be a game where Pokashevsky was struggling, but who are you going to bench him for? Okay, you, you bench him, sure, because he's struggling, 
Then you put in a guy who's on, you know, a, a one-year deal like Isaiah Roby, who you don't really care about, you're not really invested in, and it doesn't impact your future. Well, this year, if Pokashevsky struggles, which he has not done very often this year, he's been very good this year, but if he does struggle this year, you bench him, and now you're turning to Jalen Williams, who you just spent a, a lottery pick on, and you really want to uh, see how he develops. And, and, and JRE, who you spent last year's uh, high second-round pick on and trade up for him to get, and you really think that he can be a part of your future. So there's just more guys on this roster who are long-term projects for the Thunder and long-term investors investments that they want to see play to where at some point somebody has to have a good night like that all 13 of them can't have an off night so being able to mix and match like that this year has been the biggest difference maker and I think that guys just obviously uh, growing like Bukashevsky taking a leap this year um, Lou Dort getting off of his cold streak in in recent games uh, has helped a lot obviously and Jalen Williams that I've seen a clear the J-Dub as OKC calls him he has been one of the best rookies I've seen in terms of making a winning impact right away. Like he does everything the right way. The numbers are not going to be eye popping. He has career high on Friday. Let's see how he, how he moves forward with that. But he just is in the right spot at the right time and makes winning plays. And, and for a rookie a month into his rookie season, that's pretty hard to do. And so I've been impressed by him a lot too. I covered the Pacers when they had TJ leaf, TJ Warren and TJ McConnell, but we thankfully could call them by their last name to make covering them and asking questions about them easier. I have no idea how you guys in Oklahoma City are covering Jalen Williams and Jalen Williams, who are both draft picks in the exact same season. Last thing for me on the Thunder, and specifically Shea, I'm sure you hate this part of the Shea discussion, but every year everybody says the Thunder are doing this rebuild thing and it might make sense to trade him at some point. He's only 24. That's never made sense to me, but now that he's off to this MVP-level start, uh, where where do you stand on that? What I would call silly rumor at this time. Yeah, I would I would call it silly to be nice. Uh, <laughs> look, he, he locked himself into a five-year contract with OKC with no opt-outs. The Thunder have a mountain of draft capital. They have a uh, top five, top ten uh, salary cap room in the offseason. Uh, they have this guy playing at MVP level. He said before the year, I know what I signed up for. He said last year at his exit interview, I've talked to Sam. He's told me about the plan. I'm excited about the plan. I can't tell you guys about the plan, but I know it and I'm excited. (laughs) So he, at every step of the way publicly, he's told you I'm ready to be in Oklahoma city. And I think that we don't give enough credit to sure. It's a small market and everything. I get that, but there's only 30 of these spots available to be the face of an NBA team. Like there's only 30 chances and he's the face of an NBA team, a fashion icon who likes the, the spotlight and he's getting it in OKC. And this team's going to add Chet Holmgren next year, plus a draft pick next year, plus, of course, like we mentioned, the salary cap ability, the trading ability to add more stars. Josh Giddey's going to get a year older. J-Dub's going to get better. Usman Jang is another project lottery pick that they just had. So they're going to have three lottery picks from this year's draft class next year on their roster, plus have another draft pick in the 2023 draft, which is loaded, and have room to still grow from there. This is going to be a team that's going to be very exciting, and he gets to usher that in as the face of a franchise. I don't think that you even consider trading him at this point. I know he's played very well, uh, but I think that the Thunder are very comfortable and happy with his progression, obviously, and they want that they want to see that happen in Bricktown, not anywhere else, and not trade him at all. So I think that it's kind of silly. I think that it's all kind of cooled off now in, in a recent week. There was one little athletic story about it uh, a couple weeks ago, but that's quickly gone the way of the Dodo Bird, as it should. I think that Shea is the franchise guy for OKC. Yeah, I think you should be as well. It doesn't make sense to me that a rebuilding team would consider trading away the 24-year-old who's actually good, but I don't cover the Thunder. You do, Ryland Styles, and you can follow him uh, over at Ryland underscore Styles and at the Lockdown Thunder podcast for more on the Oklahoma City Thunder. Ryland, thanks for talking. Thanks for having me.